we're going to continue our sermon series this morning on the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus. And I want you to take your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number 13 and verse number 33, as we continue our sermon series, um, Hidden Truth in Plain Sight. Hidden Truth in Plain Sight. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse number 33, a very short scripture, but if it's possible, uh, could you read it with me? Could you read it with me? Verse number 33, and just read it with me all together on the count of three. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 33, and another parable, he... The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took, hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. And this is the parable that we're going to look at this morning, and I've titled this parable, The Sneaky Housewife. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I've known a few of those. Amen. The Sneaky Housewife. Housewife. The sneaky housewife. I'm continuing my sermon series this morning on the parables of Jesus because the parables of Jesus have hidden truth that's just in plain sight. And most of the parables that Jesus spoke in the Gospels were uh, stories with a heavenly meaning. The word parable means to lay alongside of. So what Jesus would do in the Gospels is that Jesus would tell a story that was very familiar to everyone and he would lay alongside of it a spiritual meaning or a spiritual principle. So in other words, it was a heavenly story, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is hidden truth in plain sight. And what's really interesting is that a lot of people back then didn't get the truth. They missed it. They, they were seeing, but they didn't see. They were hearing, but they didn't hear. It was plain truth in hidden sight. They didn't see it. And Jesus said that the mysteries of the kingdom of God are open to those who will hear. And so this morning, I pray that you will just not just hear my words, but that you will actually hear that you will just not see, but that you will actually see. There is a difference between hearing and actually hearing what the Lord wants to say to you. I believe that the parables of Jesus are hidden truth in plain sight. This scripture or this parable that I just read to you is a very short parable. It's a very short story, but it is packed with a lot of truth. So I'm asking you to buckle your spiritual seatbelts this morning, open up your spiritual eyes, and listen to this parable that Jesus is expounding to his disciples. Because within this parable, there is hidden truth in it for not only me, but it's also hidden there for you. And it's going to take spiritual eyes for you to open your eyes up and see what the Holy Spirit wants you to see. Jesus said in John 6 that the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So if you can grab a hold of the hidden truth found in this parable, it will bring spiritual truth and spiritual life 
to your spiritual man. And so this parable, although it is short, it is very powerful. Powerful. And I believe that out of all the parables or the stories that Jesus told, this story is probably one of the most misunderstood stories of them all. It's probably one of the most misunderstood stories of them all. Now, I know that you agree that you could read the Scriptures and take the Scripture out of context. Anytime you take a text out of context, you can make it a pretext for anything you want. Scripture interprets Scripture. If there is a truth found in Matthew chapter 13, 33, that truth is evident somewhere else in Scripture. It is found throughout Scripture. And sometimes I believe that Christians take one Scripture and they try to build a whole denomination upon it without looking at the Scripture in its context. And I believe that this parable or this story that Jesus tells us today is one of the misunderstood stories of the whole New Testament. And what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you the way people have misunderstood this and then I'm going to tell you what I believe historically is the right interpretation of looking at this parable. So we're going to do two things this morning. Number one, we're going to look at why people have misunderstood this parable. And then we're going to look at why I believe historically it is interpreted this way. All right? Number one, I want to tell you the most common interpretation of this parable, which I believe is a wrong interpretation. Everybody say it's wrong. I want you to say it on the count of three as loud as you can say it. It's wrong. One, two, three. This is, I believe, a common interpretation of it, but it is a wrong interpretation of it. And basically, in the story, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman in her kitchen. Now, I'm paraphrasing. It's like a woman in her kitchen, and what is she doing in the kitchen? She is making bread, so to speak, and she hid secretly some yeast in the bread. She, she has some dough there and she takes some yeast and she hides it in the bread. I want you to notice what the woman does. The woman hides the yeast in the bread. She hides the yeast in the bread. Now the common interpretation, which I believe is the wrong interpretation, is this. And I've even heard it for years. But many people will say, well, in order to understand it, they would say it like this. The leaven is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. The woman is the church, and the meal or the dough is the world. Logic says that when the leaven, which represents the expanding power of the gospel in the world, until the whole planet is eventually influenced, just like the leaven overtakes the meal, so the gospel will overtake the world. So that was the common interpretation, which I believe is the wrong interpretation. They believe that the leaven, the yeast, is the gospel, and the dough is the world, and the church is the woman, and our responsibility is to knead the gospel into the dough, which is the world, until the whole world is Christianized, until the whole world is influenced by the gospel. And I believe that is the wrong interpretation. Why do I believe it's the wrong interpretation? Three things to help you understand why I believe this is the wrong interpretation. Number one, 
Jesus' parables in the New Testament primarily deal with, the church, uh, deal with Israel and not the church. So when Jesus is speaking in the New Testament, when he's preaching his parables and telling stories, he is primarily speaking to an audience which is the Jewish people. It is Israel, God's people. And the Bible says, and I quote, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24, and I quote, but he, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the context of the gospel is this, that when Jesus opened his mouth and preached, he was preaching to Jews, he was preaching to the house of Israel, and there was a hidden truth in it for them to discover. So I believe that when Jesus spoke, he was primarily dealing with the Jewish people, Israel, and not necessarily the church. So I do not believe the yeast is the gospel. I don't believe the dough is the world. And I certainly don't believe the woman is the church. Number two, the reason I believe that is a bad interpretation is number two, the Bible does not teach that the world will be influenced by the gospel. That the whole world will be influenced by the gospel. Now, I know that there is a teaching going around saying that before Jesus comes, there's going to be a worldwide revival. But the Bible does not teach that. And it doesn't matter what people say or what prophecies go forth. We've got to be true to what the Bible says. And we've got to stay true to what the Bible says. Now, am I against the move of God? Do I want the Holy Spirit to move? Of course I want the Holy Spirit to move. And I am not against the move of God. But what I do believe the Scripture teaches is that there will be pockets of revival in the world. There is going to be oases of revival in the world. Not everybody is ready for revival. Not everybody is going to be receptive. The Holy Spirit can't go against somebody's will. So not everybody is going to be saved. Not everybody is going to accept the gospel. But there will be pockets of revival. There will be pockets of oasis of the presence and the power of Almighty God. And I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, but I hope so and I pray so that Christ Point becomes an oasis of the power and the presence of Almighty God in the four-state region. Can I hear an amen? I pray that Christ Point is a vibrant, life-filled, spirit-filled, on-fire devil stomping, Bible quoting, believing, gospel of Jesus Christ church. I pray that we're stuck right in the middle of the kiss between heaven and earth and we experience everything that God has for us. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I am with you all the way. I want to be right in the middle of what God wants to do. I want to be in the middle of what God wants to do. But the Bible does not teach that the whole world will be influenced by the gospel. The Bible doesn't teach that the woman will knead the yeast in the bread until all of the bread has leaven in it. Until all the world has the gospel. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, and I quote, But know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. He's speaking to the church. Matthew chapter number 24, verses 37 through 38, and I quote the words of Jesus. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, and married, and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, and I quote, the Apostle Paul said it very clearly, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will come unless there is a great falling away first, and the son of perdition is revealed. The Bible does not teach that the whole world will be influenced by the gospel. The Bible does teach in the book of Revelation that the 144,000 Jews, which is anointed by the Spirit, will go throughout the, the tribulation period and they will preach the gospel to every nation. And people will be converted in the tribulation period. Now that does not mean that the gospel is not being preached now. It doesn't mean that we don't have missionaries preaching the gospel now. We just prayed for 20 of our missionaries. We support 20 of our missionaries. We believe, in the, we believe in the gospel being preached to the whole world. But the whole world will not be receptive to the gospel. Number three, why I believe that's a wrong interpretation, is that I believe that leaven, which is yeast in the Bible, primarily represents evil or corruption. Primarily it does represent evil and corruption. So if you look at scriptures in the Old Testament and you look at scriptures in the New Testament, the truth that you see is that yeast or leaven represents evil or corruption. There's a few scriptures that I want to explain here and then later I'll explain it more in detail. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 6, and I quote the words of Jesus, And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is not a positive remark. This is a negative remark about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He's talking about the corruption of their, their doctrine, their, their, their hypocrisy that was found in their doctrine. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 12, of the same passage, Jesus said it like this, or the writer of Matthew said it like this, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. He wasn't talking about natural bread, but he was talking about the doctrine of the religious leaders. So the leaven, which is yeast, is representing corrupt doctrine, corrupt teaching that these religious leaders were teaching. So my friends, I do believe that this is a wrong interpretation of the Scriptures. I do not believe that the woman is the church. The woman cannot be the church. I do not believe that the dough is the world. And I do not believe the, that, that, that the yeast represents the gospel. Because in the Bible, yeast represents evil and corruption, not the gospel. And so what I want to see, number two, I want to give you what I believe historically is the right interpretation of this passage. I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 33. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus and I want you to say it with me again on the count of three. All of us, as loud as you can say it, let's read the parable again. One, two, three. And... So what is the correct interpretation? Let me make a side note. And I've already explained this last week. So if you need more 
a detail about this. You can go to the website and listen to last week's sermon. But the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are primarily the same thing. They're interchangeable terms for the same thing. And the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is invisible and visible. On the count of three, would you say that with me? Invisible and invisible and visible. What do I mean? The Jewish people, God's people, they longed for an earthly kingdom. They wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom. Why do you think Peter become impatient and took a sword and whacked off the soldier's ear? He was impatient. He wanted Jesus to set up His kingdom and overthrow the Romans. Why would Lucifer sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Who in their right mind would sell their best friend for 30 pieces of silver? Who in their right mind would sell the person that they spent three and a half years with, sat at the table with, ate bread with, walked with them and talked with him? Who would do that? Judas, because he was impatient. He wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom. And Jesus appeared to be passive. Jesus appeared to be passive. He did not overthrow the Romans. He did not use might and power and violence. In other words, Jesus used love. Judas wanted him to set up his kingdom. What was the words of the disciples found in Acts chapter 1 around verse 8 or 9? Jesus is ascending to heaven. And the disciples said, Lord, when will you restore Israel? Or when will you establish an earthly kingdom? You see, my friends, Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom then. But one day, Jesus will come and establish an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. He will sit on the throne of David, and you and I will be priests and kings unto Him. I know that sounds like a fairy tale. I know that sounds like it's hard to believe. But according to the Scriptures that we read, Jesus will come back in the thousand-year millennium. He will set up His kingdom in Israel. He will sit on the throne of David, and you and I will be kings and priests in His kingdom for a thousand years. There will be a literal kingdom that will be established on earth. But when Jesus came, in the dispensation of grace. He came and established a kingdom within us. Jesus said to the disciples, the kingdom of God is within you. So what is the kingdom of God invisible? Invisible, it means that Jesus is reigning in my life. That Jesus has my heart. That Jesus has total obedience of my life. That's what it means to have the kingdom of God in your life that's invisible there will be a visible kingdom later so what does this mean what does the meal mean the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took some yeast and hid it in the dough number one let's look at the meal or the dough what would the meal or the dough represent I'm going to quote some scriptures to you and I want you to listen very carefully to what I believe the interpretation of the meal or the bread or the dough represents in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to notice, if they could put the Scripture back up there, Matthew 13, I want you to notice that the woman hid 
three measures of meal in she she hid leaven in three measures of meal notice the detail three measures of meal now anybody back then listening to this story would have understood something if they was a student of the old testament they would have understood that three measures of meal usually represented an offering of fellowship to god and also with one another listen to these scriptures the bible says in genesis 18 verse 6 the context of this scripture is abraham being hospitable to the three visitors and i quote so abraham hurried into the tent to sarah and said quickly make me ready three measures of fine meal knead it and make some cakes three measures of meal knead it sarah hurry up we need to show hospitality to these visitors the bible says listen to this scripture leviticus chapter 2 and verse number 1 this is the regulation for the offerings if you are reading through the bible you should be you should have read this and so this should be familiar to you verse number 1 when anyone offers a grain offering now a grain offering is the same thing as a meal offering it's the same thing when anyone offers a grain offering or a meal offering to the lord his offering shall be of fine flour and he shall pour oil on it with frankincense on it now notice he says when you offer a grain offering to the lord his offering should be of flour now of the same chapter that is not up there verses 2 3 4 you go down the offering had to be made unleavened with no yeast in it and it's ironic to me that this offering that did not have yeast in it had oil on top of it and oil represents in scripture the holy spirit and how many knows the holy spirit will not anoint anything that has yeast in it or sin in it can i say that again i said the holy spirit will not anoint anything that has sin in it he will not anoint anything that has yeast in it the anointing which is the oil is only poured upon unleavened bread i don't know about you but when i come to church i don't want to be a leaven offering to the lord i want to be an unleavened offering so that the oil of the spirit can be rightfully poured upon us so judges chapter 6 verse 19 i'm not going to read it you can see it behind me gideon offers an ephah of a flower ephah is three measures of of flower to the lord first samuel chapter 1 verse 26 hannah begins to offer something to the lord she offers fine flower to the lord the the three measures of meal represents an offering to god fellowship to god but not only does it represent fellowship to god but flower also represented fellowship with brothers and sisters so the truth is that the meal or the bread that is found in Matthew chapter 13 represents our fellowship with God and it represents our fellowship with people did you get that the bread the meal the dough in Matthew 13 represents fellowship with God and fellowship with people You see that in Genesis chapter 18 verse 6 Abraham offering getting Sarah to make some flour to with make some cakes so they can be hospitable have fellowship with one another 
you see in Leviticus chapter 2, the flower was an offering to God. So the flower, the meal, the dough, the bread represents fellowship to God as an offering and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. You see, the New Testament bears this out. And I quote, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, listen to the Apostle. Then which, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that also we may have fellowship with us, have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You see, fellowship is like the cross. The cross is horizontal and the cross is vertical. It is God and people. It is the meal offering. It is the bread. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, and I quote the words of the Apostle Paul, For we, though are many, are one bread and one body. What is he talking about? He's talking about fellowship with our brothers and our sisters. For we all partake of the one bread. So what does bread represent? What does meal represent? What does this fine flour represent? What does the bread represent? In Matthew chapter 13, it represents our fellowship with God. It represents our fellowship with one another. Second of all, what does the leaven represent? I briefly touched on it a few moments ago, but leaven is yeast which causes the bread to rise. You know, and it's usually in Scripture a symbol of evil, corruption. And there are many Scriptures which indicate that, and I'm going to read them to you. The first mention of it is found in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 19. This was the law of God to the Hebrew people. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. So get all of the leaven out of your house. Don't eat the leaven. Clean it out of your house. Why? Because leaven represents evil. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 4. And if you bring an offering, a grain offering, this is the scripture I was referring to earlier, baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. The oil is always on the unleavened bread. The oil is on that which has no yeast. The oil is on that which has no yeast. If you want the anointing of God on your life, you've got to make sure you purge out the leaven in your life. You've got to purge out the sin in your life. You've got to purge out the corruption in your life. Because God is not going to promote, and God is not going to anoint, and God is not going to appoint that which is unholy. You've got to clean the leaven out of your life in order for you to be used by God Almighty. <laughs> clean it out. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. The Apostle Paul said this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man should have his father's wife. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. He goes on in the same context to say it like this. 
verse number 6 and 7 of the same chapter, he says this, Your glorying is not good. Do you, know, do you know, do not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may have a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. Since you are truly unleavened. In other words, you are a sacrifice to God and you represent unleavened bread. You have, you represent unleavened bread because there should be no sin in your life. You should have died to your old self and be resurrected in Christ in newness of power. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16 verse 6, Jesus said, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, it's interesting to me, when I was growing up in West Virginia, I uh, occasionally, on Sundays, when we got back from church and my grandma was trying to make bread, homemade bread, uh, you know, we didn't have air conditioners back then, we had fans in the windows. Can I hear an amen? And so it was hot outside, a hot summer day, and back then you wore a suit and a tie and you dressed up and, you know, and my grandma had her hair stacked up, a PhD, Pentecostal hairdo. And she had, you know, that hose on and high heels. So I remember coming home, taking, you know, taking the bobby pins out, running to the kitchen, trying to hurry up to make Sunday, Sunday dinner. And so one of the things I noticed is that, and I never forgot this until I was studying this, that my grandma would say, now baby, the yeast has to be right, just right, for the bread to rise. Now, I don't claim to be a cook. Believe me, I don't claim to be no cook. Uh, I just preach, pray, and prophesy. So, she said, now get this, don't lose me. She said, the yeast has to be just right for the bread. And I thought, well, that don't make sense. She says, the water cannot be too cold and the water cannot be too hot. The water has to be lukewarm. I hope you all know where I'm going with this. Because I'm not talking about natural bread. Yeast that represents sin, it grows in lukewarm conditions. Can I say that again? Yeast that represents sin works better in lukewarm conditions. And that is why, as a little pastor, i got to tell you all something. We've got to stay on fire for God. We've got to run after God. We've got to pursue God. We've got to run after Him with everything we got because we cannot let this environment be conducive for sin. We've got to let this environment be conducive for holiness and righteousness. Can somebody wave your hand and say amen? That when people come to the house of God here, there should be a conviction that God is holy and just and right. That when the Spirit of God is moving here, it shouldn't, it shouldn't make people run to the front and make their life right with God. Hallelujah. So I pray today, before I end this sermon, I pray today 
that the Holy Spirit would set some of you on fire. I pray that some of you would quit this lukewarmness and you would get on fire and be faithful to God and be faithful to God with your life and give Him everything you ever got because what's behind you is not worth going back to you. It's not worth going back, folks. Either you're in this thing, you're not. Why are you, why, why are you straddling the fence? Either you're in or you're out. Either you're in or you're out. Either you give it your all or you don't give it at all. But let's not straggle the fence. Make up your mind. God said to Joshua, tell my people, today you've got to choose who you will serve. You've got to make up your mind. Either you're in or you're out. Because what the enemy does, the enemy doesn't care. Listen to pastor. The enemy doesn't care how long it takes to get you. Just as long as you are slowly going in his direction with quiet compromise. Can I say that again? The enemy doesn't care how long it takes to get you. Just as long as you continue to move slowly in the direction through your quiet compromise. And what you compromise will be your captivity years from now. And I want to say this. Listen to Pastor Josh. Don't turn, me, don't, don't turn me off. Listen to me. I refuse to let the conditions of my first birth define me. I refuse to let the conditions of my first birth define me. My first birth is sinful. I was born into sin with a sinful nature. That's my first birth. But Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. So I refuse to let the conditions of my first birth define me. I will not walk in sin. I will not walk in unholiness. I will not walk in compromise. I will not walk in corruption. I will not be defined by my last by my first birth, but I will walk in the new citizenship of my new birth, which I found at Calvary. Hallelujah. So yeast is sinful. Meal represents your fellowship with God and man. And in closing, the woman. The woman, notice what she does. The woman does something that it appears to be with malice and premeditation. She, she takes the leaven and she puts it in the meal. Your interpretation of Matthew 13.33 says that she hid it in the meal. She hid it in the meal. Who is the woman of Matthew 13.33, the devil is the sneaky housewife. It is the devil. It's the devil that's the sneaky housewife. Because you know what the devil does? What's the main point of this story? The main point of this story is this. The devil who is the sneaky housewife, will calculate a plan to hide leaven 
which is sin or division between your fellowship with God and one another. Can somebody wave your hand and say, I refuse to let the devil who is the sneaky housewife put a wedge between my brothers and my sisters. I refuse to walk in unforgiveness. I refuse to be offended. I refuse to let the enemy bring division between me and my brother and sister. And I also refuse to let the enemy come between me and the Lord. I am going to be that unleavened sacrifice. I'm not going to let the enemy bring division. Who is that sneak? Listen, he is a sneaky housewife. Do you think the devil comes to you as a as a man with a black cape and a pitchfork. Come on, folks. Come on, folks. Do you really think the devil works that way? The devil works through personalities, principalities. Principalities work through personalities. You do not fight against flesh and blood but you fight against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. The enemy is not going to come to you with a black cape and a pitchfork. He's not going to come to you and say, hey, I'm here. The enemy will come sneaky. The enemy will come and hide things in your home. He will hide things in your marriage. He will hide things in the church. And at first, it doesn't look like it's much. At first, it doesn't look like it will harm anything, but you need to be aware that just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of yeast, has the potential to bring compromise to the whole community and division to the whole community. And that is why, as a church, you cannot afford to miss. can't afford to let down your standards. You can't afford to let down your spiritual disciplines. I'll take a break. You can't take a break from God. can't take a break from prayer, Bible reading. This is a way of life. I said, this is a way of life. The enemy's after you. And he will, what will he do? He will hide things in your life. What is he hiding? What is he hiding in your relationships? Is there division in your relationship? Is there strife? It's not that person. It's the devil. He's hiding something there and you've got to be aware that it's the enemy. We gripe and complain with each other. It's quit griping and complaining with each other. It's the enemy. He's hiding something and you've got to be aware that he's hiding it. Until eventually that yeast infiltrates the whole lump and the whole lump is full of compromise. Division, sin, corruption. But you've got to make up your mind that if I've got to go over, or if I've got to go under, if I've got to go around, if I've got to go through, I'm not giving up. Somebody once said that the nose of a bulldog is slanted backwards so he can continue to breathe while letting go. In other words, you've got to have bulldog faith. You've got to keep on going. You've got to fight. 
You've got to believe. You've got to refuse to let the enemy bring division between you and your brothers and sisters. And, and you know what? One of the greatest hindrances to the church is offense. People get offended all the time. And that's exactly what the devil does. He hides it. He hides it. You think it's about you. It's not about you. It's about bringing division between you and the body. It's about hiding something to bring division. And you've got to make up your mind that I refuse to let the enemy. I've got to walk in the spirit of discernment that I can see that little speck of yeast and I refuse to let it bring division in my relationship with God and my relationships with my brothers and sisters. What is the main point of the story? The main point of the story is this. The devil is the sneaky housewife. He will calculate a plan to hide division, strife, discord, sin, corruption between your fellowship with God and with people. And a lot of people that day in Matthew 13 missed it. You know why they missed it? Because it was hidden truth in plain sight. And I pray today that your eyes is open and you can see the hidden specks of yeast in your life. That you can see the hidden truth in plain sight. Amen.